Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from the Common English Bible, and it's Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. My son, don't forget my instruction. Let your heart guard my commands, because they will help you live a long time and provide you with well-being. Don't let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Bind them on your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and approval in the eyes of God and humanity. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your intelligence. Know him in all your paths, and he will keep your ways straight. Don't consider yourself wise. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then your body will be healthy and your bones strengthened. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will burst with wine. Don't reject the instruction of the Lord, my son. Don't despise his correction. The Lord loves those he corrects, just like a father who treats his son with favor. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Can, can I add to the announcement this morning for Mops and just give them a shout out this morning? I would also say uh, that's a great group that meets and they, um, I get to go share some time with them. They really have really good food, by the way. Just want to put that out there. But I would also say if you know of a mom of a preschooler in your neighborhood that might uh, enjoy that, invite them. It's not just for uh, people here at our church. It really is for the community. So just I wanted to remind us of that as we think about that this morning. But when you came in to worship this morning, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand, not, not say anything. But if, if you noticed there was something different when you came in to worship this morning, would you just raise your hand if you noticed something different? So one, two, three, four, four, five people. So the five of you who noticed something different, what's different this morning? What's that? The flags. How many people didn't notice there weren't flags here this morning? All right, no, no, a few others. Oh, wait, I noticed. I didn't, I didn't want to say anything. So how many people didn't even know there were flags here? Right, a lot of you are like, a lot of us come in every week, in and out every week, and we don't know that they exist, right? Or we don't notice them because they're, but they're here every week. Oh, sorry. Right? And this is where this one is. This is what flag? <laughs> if you don't know, it's okay. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to the United States. It's okay if you don't know. Actually, some people don't, may not know. But that's the United States flag, right? We, we know that. When did that show up in the worship service in his, historically? When did we start putting a flag, the nation's flag in our sanctuaries? Anybody know the answer to that question? 1776? No. It's a good guess, though, right? What's that? Who said 1941? Very good. I think you're pretty good. Did you just Google that? No, right, all right. So, sorry. so yeah, right. It's about, and what was happening in our nation's history in 1941? World War II, right? And so, to display patriotism, in America, churches began putting flags. I, I could also tell you that the flag manufacturing company 
wanted to sell more flags and also created something else called the Pledge of Allegiance. So the Pledge of Allegiance might have been a marketing tool to sell more flags in America. I just put that out there. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I wasn't around in 19, 1940. So that began to be displayed because of World War II. Now, there was another flag that was created. Do you know what it is? The Christian flag. All right, let me see if I can do this one without doing damage. All right. Right? And so this is the Christian flag. It was created in 1940. Um, and it was displayed in churches when about the same time that the U.S. flag was started to display in churches, right? And this flag was created to represent the Christian faith. Um, the white symbolizes purity. The blue symbolizes heaven. And the cross is red, symbolizes Christ and the blood of Christ. And so that's the symbolism of the Christian flag, if you didn't know that. That was created in 1940. Now, there were particular churches in America that displayed both these flags and it was important for them to display this flag. So let's go back in U.S. history. We're in the 1940s. What denomination of, uh, would be important for them to display both these flags in their sanctuaries? Lutherans, right. Because they came from Germany. And so to show their patriotism, to show that they were not, that they were not pro-Nazi Germany, they would display both flags in their sanctuaries. Now, question. Do these help us worship? Do having these flags in our space have anything to do with worship? Not really. I'm seeing a lot of heads shaking no. So what have I just illustrated? Let's go back to our iceberg illustration from last week. So this is all about to remind us of last week. So remember, there's what people see, the behavior, the outside. So, and then there are values that are underneath that behavior. There are beliefs underneath of that. And then there's a whole worldview that we don't even are conscious of all the time. We talked about this last week. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this this week, but I just want to remind us of that. So where do flags in sanctuaries fall in this chart? You with me? It falls at the tip of the iceberg. It's actually an artifact, and it's actually a remnant of values and beliefs in history that have really not very much to do with worship, right? And so we have to keep in mind, so a lot of times we think, you know, a lot, and I've heard this argument, I understand there was probably uh, some, some debate about this in this church many years ago about moving and getting rid of flags. In fact, I heard somebody uh, just recently, they, they said, oh, yeah, we, we got rid of the flags in our worship service. And I thought, you know, you know, I'm okay either way, personally. But I thought, what's the, you know, what's the big deal, right? Why, why is this a big deal? It's because different people have different values and beliefs there. But here's the thing. Moving the flags in or out of worship won't change what's going on inside, will it? won't do anything. It's outsourced. It's exterior. It's just a behavior. It's an artifact of a former belief and value system that we are maybe hanging on to. Here's why the point of this is that I think that one of the reasons we may drift spiritually, like we talked about last week, is because we're tying our worldview to maybe some other assumptions that we've never really thought about or questioned. 
And that when those assumptions are challenged, that make us run away or move away or do whatever, when really they have very little to do with our worldview. And so it's because it's really on the surface of things. What God wants to do in us, I think, is at a deeper level. And so we, a lot of times we think, um, you know, well, I wish, how many people wish other people would change, by the way? I mean, I don't need to change. You don't need to change. We're perfect. But how many people wish other people would change, right? You know, right? All right, come on. Get, we're, we're, we're together now, right? We wish other people would change. And the thing is, is that we think we, we, need, we want them to change what? What part of that? Can we bring the iceberg back up? What part of that chart do we want people to change? Behavior, right? It's usually behavior, right? But behavior is ultimately not going to change unless we go deeper, right? This is what Dr. Daryl Whiteman said. Uh, he's the one that you can either thank or, or not thank for this sermon material. He said this, conversion to following Jesus is more about changing the unseen dimensions of who we are, our beliefs, our worldview, and our allegiance. So focusing on trying to convince people to change their behavior, flags, right, without the Holy Spirit fostering a deeper change in their values, beliefs, and worldview is at best superficial and at worst leads to nominal Christianity and hypocrisy. Good quote, isn't it? But I think Dr. Whiteman is correct. We have to look deeper. We have to go deeper at and look at our worldview. And we talked about this last week. So how do we do that, right? We talked about how we kind of we're challenged to look at our worldviews last week. But I said we're going to look this week at how do we do that? How do you reshape, reform, renew your worldview, get below the surface, not just about the surface stuff or the artifacts on the surface, but how do we allow the Holy Spirit to really change us and renew us and reform us? I think the answer is discipleship. I think Christianity gives us the answer in following Jesus, in being disciples. Discipleship is learning to trust the worldview of Jesus. And I would use that word trust. Because at some point we have to decide, do I adopt and trust the worldview that Jesus presents, or do I just keep going with all these other worldviews that I've been that are going on in the world or the currents of the world or the storms of life to dictate how I see the world. So we have to be challenged by that. Let me just remind us about the metaphor we're using, this metaphor of a boat and an anchor and a chain, right? The, the anchor is God. God is the one who stays, remains the same, who keeps us in place. Jesus is the one that connects us, the mediator of our faith to God. And the Holy Spirit is like the, the, uh, the cleat on the deck of our lives that holds us to the anchor. Now, if you think about this system, you know, people have been sharing boating stories with me this week for some reason. Well, you know, Pastor, we set our anchor once and the boat went adrift, right? You know, you could set your, if you're a boater, you know, you can set the anchor and then someone shared a story waking up the next morning and the boat was just drifting along the coast because the anchor didn't hold, right? And so this, people have been kind of messing with my analogy of anchors, right? But here's what the proverb said, 3-5. We all know this verse. It's a, it's a well-known verse for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, but it's a great verse. Proverbs 3-5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own intelligence. Don't rely on your own intelligence. 
So what it's saying is trust God's God as your anchor. Like, that's what we're talking about here. How can God be our anchor? How can God be our allegiance? How do we trust the Lord with our whole heart and not rely on our own intelligence? I would tell you, those boaters, who has a boating story of losing their anchor? They're, they set the anchor and it slips away. Anybody have a boat, right? Some people shared that with me, right? I would suggest to you that you had the wrong anchor. <laughs> that you had a little tiny anchor, Right? And our human intelligence in comparison to God is like a little anchor that slips on the bottom of the seafloor and loses its ability to grab. Here's the anchor I'm suggesting we get attached to our boats. We have a picture of the anchor, right? This anchor. This is the anchor I'm talking about. This is the anchor that it was used on the Titanic. Uh, and it's over, you can see it's over two stories tall. It weighs 16 tons. Now, those of you who let your, if you attached your boat to that anchor, what would happen to it, right? Would it drift? No, right? So it's all about, that's God. That's God as an anchor, right? Compared to our own intelligence, right? Or our own understanding compared to God. God is this really solid anchor that we will not move, that will, will not move if we're attached, if we're secure, if we're trusting in that, in that anchor, Right, so I, I just wanted to recapture my anchor metaphor back from the stories, right? So just stay with me on that one. I would also suggest to you that discipleship is the process through which we reorient our worldview to Jesus. So when we are discipled, when we're disciples, we actually begin that practice of discipleship actually begins to reorient reform and renew and allow the Holy Spirit to work within us to change our values and our beliefs and, and starting with our worldview. So we have to really get the Holy Spirit has to go deeper in us to help reshape us and reform us and renew us. How many people remember WWJD? Anybody remember that? And that if you've been around the church for a while, you'll remember the wristband, WWJD, and people are going around, what would Jesus do, Right? And we made wristbands, and we made T-shirts, and we made bumper stickers. And what are the bumper stickers and the wristbands and the, and the what else did I say? And the T-shirts, right? What are they? They're like flags. They're artifacts. They're, they're, there's these external things that we can put on ourselves and put on our cars, right? We can put all this WWJ stiff, WWJD stuff on us but it doesn't necessarily mean that anything's changed, right? I actually think it's a good question. I don't think it's a bad question, but I think a lot of people have become, it's become kind of a, uh, you know, it became a marketing tool for Jesus, right? Instead of something that really changed people from the inside out. That's Holy Spirit work. A bracelet is not going to do that for us. Now, I still would suggest that disciples ask that question. A disciple still needs to ask the question, and it's got to go at a deeper level. That's what Proverbs 3.3 3 says. Don't let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Bind them on your neck and write them where? On the tablet of your heart. So what it's saying is don't put it on, the, on a wristband. <laughs> put that question inside of you. Ask that question internally. Make sure that question is a part of who you are and a part of your following Jesus. What would Jesus do is a valid question that we need to be asking and allowing us to shape our lives, right? So it's a good question that got misappropriated in terms of marketing, right? So that's a good question. Notice that what the proverb is saying, 
when it's saying bind them to your neck, the neck is, the one, is what shifts the direction of your life, that turns the head, that says, this is the direction I'm going. So bind loyalty and faithfulness on your neck and put it in your heart. Set it as the direction of your life and make sure it gets inside of you, not just on the outside of you. So if we take this kind of idea, I think there are actually some other questions disciples need to ask themselves. Let's stay with WWJD. Let's go back. Let's go back. WWJD and our iceberg, right? WWJD on the iceberg is what would Jesus do, right? That's where we see it. It's on the surface. It's about behavior. Good question, right? Very good question for disciples to be asking themselves, right? But then if we go deeper, we would do this. WWJL. WWJL. Who would Jesus love? This gets at value, right? This gets at our values. Who would Jesus love? And when Jesus was here on the planet, who did Jesus love? <laughs> you might say everybody, right? We, we do believe that Jesus loved everybody. Yet at the same time, if you look at how Jesus spent his time and his energy, it was with people outside the church, not inside the church. It were with people who were outside and sinners and tax collectors and the marginalized, that, those were the people that Jesus seemed to love more. And that's actually what got him into trouble because he was spending time with them and loving them and investing his life in them and not in the religious community of his day. So his, his, who he chooses to love and spend time with actually tells us something about how he sees the world, doesn't it? It actually teaches us about what his values were, what his beliefs were, because, and also maybe what his worldview was. And I would suggest to you that Jesus' worldview is God's worldview. Because often the Gospel of John says that Jesus, and he said, I and the Father are one. He talked about this oneness with God. We know that he, the word became flesh. This idea that God's, in a sense, God's worldview became fleshed, enfleshed in Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, we get to see how God views the world. And how God comes to our world. And it comes humbly to our world. So we get to see this. So who would Jesus love? I think it's a great question for a disciple. And then the other question that I would think that a disciple asks is WWJT. WWJT. Who, what would Jesus think? Right? What would Jesus think? You know, you've heard that phrase before, right? You know, what would your mother think? Right? That's what you typically say. But what would Jesus think? What what would, what would be Jesus' belief about this? What would be Jesus' worldview on this particular situation? You see, a lot of times we need, as disciples, we'll ask these questions to follow Jesus. And it, they have to be questions that take us deeper to allow us to be open to the Holy Spirit. And this is the reason why we have to be open. Proverbs 3, 7 says this, Don't consider yourself wise. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I like the first part. The first part is about humility, right? Who's, who's wise? Am I going to trust in my own anchor, my own intelligence, my own wisdom, or am I going to trust in God's wisdom, in the anchor that God provides for me, right? And, and part of this discipleship process, part of reforming and renewing us at a deeper level is really being willing to say to ourselves, um, maybe I'm not as smart as I think I am. Maybe I'm not as wise as I think I am. Uh, when I was 
coaching, helping coach uh, basketball for my daughters. We uh, were teaching, uh, trying to teach new skills to uh, young middle school women. And uh, they would usually, some of, us, some of them would come to us with what I would call an unorthodox shot, if you've ever played basketball. But when you're younger, it's hard to get the ball up to the basket, a 10-foot basket. So you see a lot of this chest-pushing, like, basketball down here, and you push it out, and it gives you enough energy, so you kind of put your whole body behind it, and it goes into, and sometimes it goes in, sometimes it doesn't. So uh, they would come to us, and we would try and retrain them on how to shoot a basketball because they would come to us doing this and we would try and coach them and say, look, here's how you properly hold a basketball and you would put your hand, your, either your dominant hand, your right or left hand behind the ball, steady the ball with the other hand, and then when you shoot it, you want to shoot like this. And then we would have them practice, stand in front of the basket and practice just one hand shooting to develop the muscles in there. And we would go through all this and we would train them and we would teach them and they were like, yeah, we got it, coach. Then game time would come. And they'd get in the game. And they'd go dribble the ball down the court. And you know how they took a shot when they got in the game? Right back to this, right? They didn't trust the new skill, right? Because one, they defaulted to what they knew. Because at some point, they have to keep practicing, right? They keep trying. And at some point, that athlete has to decide... I'm going to trust my coach is really knows what they're saying, right? That my wisdom, that my way of doing things is maybe not the best way. At some point, I've got to say to myself, all right, I, I trust the coach and what the coach is telling me. And I trust that the, co- the skill that the coach is trying to put in my life or teach me about is the better way to do this. But the reason we default to the old way is because we believe it works, right? And not until we get to keep practicing and see that the other work way is actually better will we begin to do the other way. But what does it take? It takes time, it takes practice, it takes trusting the new way of doing things. And so that's part of it too. When, when discipleship is happening, we practice discipleship, and there are going to be times when we're practicing discipleship, and we're going to be like, this doesn't feel right. This feels awkward. This doesn't, this is counterintuitive. And I would suggest to you as disciples of follower Jesus, you keep working through it. Keep practicing because trust God. Trust Jesus and keep practicing to the point where you start to get it and you'll have that aha moment and go, aha, I get it. Now I know why Jesus told, told us this. But discipleship is to keep practicing until we get it. And part of that begins with saying to ourselves, maybe I need to trust the coach. Maybe I need to trust the wisdom of the coach more than my own wisdom. Proverbs 3, 6 says this, know him in all your paths and he will keep your way straight. Know him in all your paths. That means every aspect of our lives our careers, our, our families, our hobbies, our discipleship, our family, whatever it is, whatever path we're in, is God a part of that? Do we know God in all our paths? Do we do that? See, 
when we bring discipleship, when we bring God and we bring those beliefs and values and worldview into all our paths, I think, that, again, discipleship habits are going to be the things that help us to renew us and to adopt to that worldview, to trust that new worldview that Jesus offers us. So a couple things that, a couple discipleship habits that you already know about, but I want to articulate them in a slightly different way. So here are some habits that I would say keep practicing until the aha moment happens, right? So keep practicing these things on a regular basis, on a daily basis, and, and because at some point they're going to help you go, aha, now I get it, now I know, right? So stay with them. One is, as we already know, I would suggest daily meditation on Scripture. And I'm suggesting not just Bible study. Uh, I think the church has done a great job at Bible study. And, and it's good to do Bible study and learn the Scripture and listen to sermons and read books and do small group Bibles. All those are valid things. Those are good things for disciples to be doing. Meditation, though, is a little different. And I'm not talking about the meditation that the world's talking about today. I'm talking about letting the Scripture speak into your life. Because again, if we're humble, if we're willing to listen to God, we're going to submit to the Scripture, the revelation of the Bible, the Scriptures, and we're going to listen to it. We're going to listen to what others, the ancients, have been learning about God throughout the, the centuries. And we're going to listen to that Scripture, and we're going to go, God, what are you saying to me? What, what are you what are you trying to reshape in me? What are you trying to address that's going on in my life? So I'm actually talking about meditating on the scripture, sitting with a particular teaching or scripture and kind of marinating in it. How many people like to eat steak on the grill? My apology to the vegetarians or vegans in the room, but I see a lot of steak lovers here. And you know, when I grew up, my dad, charcoal grill, right? Charcoal, lighter fluid, lots of lighter fluid. Flick a match in there, you know, it's going. Throw a raw piece of meat on the grill, flip it over, take it to the dinner table. That's, that's what we ate. So, and if you like steak, you know, a nice steak is a good steak, right? And you taste the steak flavor. But you know, as I got older, I realized that other people had different ways of cooking steak. Like some people rub stuff on the steak and they marinate it for hours in the refrigerator and stuff. And then I met another guy who had like a syringe thing and they injected the meat, injected stuff into the meat. That's good steak, folks. That's good. <laughs> Anybody getting hungry? All right. What I'm talking about is that that's the way that we're supposed to sometimes meditate on the scriptures. You know, not because I think a lot of times we read scripture, we read it, you know, it's like throwing it on the grill, flipping it over. All right, I'm good. I did it. I got through that. I did my thing. I'm off to work. Ra ra rather than sitting with it, marinating with it, taking it with you all day long, marinating, coming back to it, allowing it to be a part of, get, get inside of you and not just some external action on the outside. So I think about that. Those are ways that we can begin to allow and listen to the Scripture. There are different ways to do that, different practices for doing that, rereading it, what's called Lectio Divina, other ways of doing this. I also think every time we come to worship and we sing worship songs, I, I don't know if you realize this, but a lot of times we're singing Scripture. 
And it's a way of marinating in the scriptures when we sing worship songs, when we sing these songs together, that's a way of marinating in the scripture. So we keep doing that. It's a habit. We make it a habit. We make it a part of our routine, knowing that they'll reform us and reshape us. The other thing is that I would say, and this is another thing we already know, but I want to shift our prayer life a little bit and suggest that we get into daily listening prayer. So instead of, you know, our prayer lives being about telling God something, let's change it a little bit, change our practice a little bit and say, God, what do you want to say to me today? Let's listen to God, right? That's how worldview, beliefs, and values get reshaped when I am willing to come humbly to God and say, God, what do you want to speak to me about? What do you want to say to me? Where, where do I need some reformation, some renewal in my life? And I have to be willing to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying and maybe through the scripture or through the Holy Spirit's promptings in my life. I think practices of solitude, silence, stillness, fasting are ways that we go to God and say, God, speak into my life. I'm going to spend time listening to you and listening to what you want to say to me rather than telling you what I want you to know. It's a different way of being in prayer. We actually need to do both. I'm just suggesting that if we really want to reshape what's going on inside of us, we need to be willing to humble ourselves and listen to God. And the other thing I would say is that when we practice discipleship, we need to do it with other people. I mean, that's the bottom line. That's part of the practice. Disciples don't grow well in isolation. We don't grow well in isolation. Actually, we do better when we are practicing these habits and practicing these experiences and doing these things, worshiping together, studying the Bible together, praying together. When we do these things together, we actually help reform and renew us because we need that interaction with other followers to help us in our discipleship. You know, when I was thinking about this sermon series, I was talking to uh, Stacy and Paul. I don't think they're here this morning. Stacy and Paul are fairly new to our church, and Stacy helps out in children's ministry. And we were in the office one day, and she was saying, you know, we are so thankful to be here at First Church. And she then went on to say, you know, because before that, our family was adrift. Our family was just kind of, we were just kind of drifting through life, and we had no meaning, no purpose, no direction. We were just kind of drifting, and as soon as we came to First Church and became a part of this community, we felt like our life made sense. And when she said, use that word adrift in her life, that gave me the title of the sermon series. Because I knew there are so many of us that are, can be adrift at times in our lives, right? And drifting out there. But one of the things that she said, it wasn't until we came to the community of faith, right? It, it wasn't that, that they didn't read Bible and pray and believe things, right? It wasn't until they came to the community that they began to see a difference in their life. Because we need each other. We need, encur we need to encourage each other. We need to strengthen each other. We need to pray for each other. Because that's how discipleship happens, right? Because I believe that God doesn't want to just work on the surface stuff, right? I mean, I think Dr. Whiteman is right. I think the surface, changing the surface stuff is just superficial. It, it, and that's why the church is often seen as hypocritical. And we are hypocrites at times because we've just tried to deal with the stuff on the surface rather than really getting, allowing the Holy Spirit to get inside of us and reform us, change us, or a big word we use in the church, transform us, right? Transform us. 
I'm not talking about the cars that become robots. Although that's a cool movie. All right. How many people have gone up to Cary Park recently and looked out over the city of Seattle on a sunny day? Yeah. You go up there to Cary Park and you look out over the city. Have you noticed it's changing? If, you've, if you looked five years ago and you look this year, in fact, in 2018, 10 new buildings were built in the city of Seattle over 40 stories. So if you look at that skyline today, there are 10 buildings there that weren't there two years ago, over 40 stories high. The city of Seattle is still the crane capital of the world. We have 59 active cranes working in the city of Seattle today, which is more than any other city in the United States. And when you look at, what, what, what are the words you, describe, you would use to describe to somebody the city of Seattle and what's going on as you look in there? What, if you were to take somebody up to, that, to Cary Park and look over that with some friends, you would say what? It's being transformed. It's been, look at all the new development. Look at all the new buildings. Look at all the different things that are happening. This building wasn't here before. That building wasn't there before. Look at all the things that are going on in our city. Look at all the transformation, redevelopment is happening. That's exactly how people, I hope, see us as disciples. That they can look at our lives and compare us to 10 years ago, five years ago, and say, look at all the new things in this person's life that have changed. Look at the thing and the behaviors that have changed, not because the behavior changed, but because something changed deep within them that led to this development. They started from the foundation and they worked up to what we see today. Somebody had to do what? Before that building was ever built, not only did they have to come up with a lot of money, but they had to come up with a design, a plan to develop that, to bring about, they had to think about the change they wanted to see. You and I also need to think at a deeper level the change we want to see as disciples. Romans 12, 2, we'll end with this. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, of this worldview, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. Let's pray together.